Welcome to Hazel's Story, an epic saga podcast. We're here to dive into the panels and pages of Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' comic book masterpiece, unpacking the amazing characters, themes, and weirdness in this grand space opera. My name's Abu. And I'm Alan. And Alan, we're talking chapter 58 today. I... Abu, I love this chapter so much, I can't even like, <laughs> I can't even think of anything quick or like witty or whatever, anything to say about it. Let's just get started. Let's just start talking about this chapter. I picked it up from the comic shop and I think I immediately started texting you because I was just like, dude, this is the best one yet. Yeah. Our script starts in all caps. So that's the energy we're bringing <laughs> to, to this recording today. Let's knock out some housekeeping and then we'll get into this chapter. First and foremost, huge spoiler warning, folks. You know the drill. If you are not completely caught up with Saga, including chapter 58, if you haven't read all the way through the most recent chapter that just dropped on April 27th, stop listening. Today is going to be chock full of spoilers. Go back, get caught up, and then come back and listen. So with that out of the way, we want to know what you all think of these new Saga chapters. Uh, Do you agree that chapter 58 is the best new chapter of this recent bunch since the hiatus? Or maybe you think we're more wrong than Alana trying to scare off a mountain grumbler without a bright light. (laughs) Send us all your reactions and theories on any of the four new chapters to Hazel's story at loreparty.com. What's that? We've got a new email address. That's right. Hazel's story at loreparty.com. That is shorter, but it still has two S's in a row. Hazel's story at loreparty.com. Two S's forever. That's right, folks. Don't forget that extra S. Also, a reminder about today's episode. This is by no means our usual deep dive. Instead, today is all about our instant reactions and takeaways to this brand new chapter after having read it only a couple of times now. Expect the conversation today to be a little looser, definitely less organized, and a lot more geeky and excited than usual. Yeah, absolutely. And another final housekeeping note, we had planned on having our first guest for the show on today's quick reaction episode, but our friend Patrick ended up having to reschedule. So look for him on a future episode. And that's it. That's enough with the housekeeping. Let's just get into this chapter already. Abu, Saga chapter 58. What was your first reaction? So good. So good. We think that this is maybe the best new chapter we've gotten so far of the four new chapters that have released up to this point. I want to point out that volumes in Saga are always six issues, and chapter 58 means that we're now over the halfway point in what will eventually be volume 10 of this story, of the volume 10 story arc. And Mm -hmm. I bring this up because I feel like this issue is a turning point for the story. By now, in the first three chapters, we've caught the reader up over the Mm -hmm. events of the past few years. We've established some new characters and some new mysteries and new story threads are finally starting to unspool. So I have a feeling that these next couple of chapters, the story is about to kick it into high gear and Mm. shit's probably about to go down. Yeah, I can totally feel that. It's funny because the first three chapters of the book coming back did feel a little bit like exposition, but it's true that there's a whole bunch of new readers who haven't experienced it month by month like this before and are used to just reading those like six chapter volumes where you get the whole story arc all in one but like there's a point in those stories where it really starts to get going and that's what it feels like is happening here in this chapter for sure for sure and look i have a ton of questions so far we're only four chapters into this new story arc and one of the biggest mysteries and new characters that we've set up so far is bombazine i am itching to learn more about him In today's reading, 
the pirate ship captain Skip, for example, confronts Bombazine, and we learn that in a past life, he went by the name La Buquisto or La Bucisto? It's Buchisto. Buchisto. Okay. <laughs> in Esperanto, I'm assuming that blue is pronounced in the same way as Esperanto, which I guess I shouldn't assume. Okay. Maybe it's just spelled to look like Esperanto, but pronounced totally differently. But like, yeah, I, I definitely like looked that up on Google Translate and let Google Translate say it at me. And it's Buchisto. Buchisto. La Buchisto. Amazing. And that actually translates to the butcher, which obviously a huge red flag. What is Bombazine hiding if in a past life he was known as the butcher? We also learn in the chapter that he's hiding this from Alana as well. Oh, He begs Skip not to tell Alana what he knows. Mm -hmm. And that raises so many questions for me. There's obviously a story here behind how he lost that arm. And I desperately just need to know how he and Alana have ended up as friends, acquaintances. I mean, it's not even clear to us at the moment what their relationship exactly is, which is especially muddied by the fact that in this chapter in particular, Bombazine is out here really acting like a father figure to Squire and Hazel. Mm -hmm. So like, what is this relationship slash partnership that Alana and Bombazine have set up, especially considering she doesn't know about his The Butcher past? So many questions about Bombazine. And I hope we get into it in these next few chapters. Same, totally. I have my own theories, but I have decided I'm just going to like let him ride. I'm going to like let Brian and Fiona lay this all out for us. I haven't got new material from this story in three and a half years. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole culture around like theories and like trying to cultivate <laughs> and trading them with other people and stuff like that. I'm like, no, I just that's too much participation by the reader in the story. Like maybe just enjoy the work as it's coming out. Yeah, interesting. So were you not a uh, watch Lost in real time and go through all the theories person? Abu, this is an unfortunate thing that has just come up. Oh, no. I strongly oh, dislike no. Lost. I just don't no! get it. No! <laughs> I did not know this about you. I did not know this about you. Okay, we okay, we have some things to hash out off mic, but now is sure. not the time for it. Let me continue with my thoughts on chapter 58. The other thing I want to quickly mention before I hand over the mic to you is I loved all throughout this chapter the discussions about art and music, especially at one point, Brian's take on that old cliche about insanity mm -hmm. and how it's actually just a definition of practice. Mm -hmm. I kind of loved that take, and I think I agree with it. I'm also excited to see how this love of music will play out for Hazel and Squire. This is obviously a theme that the past few chapters have been building up. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny to see Hazel sort of struggling on the guitar, trying to learn it. And then Squire just absolutely rocking out on the drums. Turns out he's got a natural talent for it. Mm -hmm. I, I also want to shout out the panel in today's reading where the character guitar says, you got to bleed for what you love, man. <laughs> and then Hazel says, yeah, man. That just had me grinning from ear to ear. So cute. Yeah, I there's some part of me that's just like, what part of... Brian Kavon's quarantine experience involved him going down like a Grateful Dead rabbit hole or something like that because he's clearly yeah. gotten really, really into <laughs> music and music as an expressive art form, which was not really a figure at all in the first half of this story. Yeah. So I have to wonder if at some point bored during the pandemic that maybe Brian Kavon or Fiona Staples decided that they were going to learn to play guitar as a person who may or may not have 
considered that and then realized that I have no place to play guitar. <laughs> oh, all right, Alan, what did you think about chapter 58? What were your instant reaction thoughts? So I have to start off my reaction by admitting that I might need to reconsider reading these new issues of Saga in public. I read chapter 58 <laughs> shortly after <laughs> picking up a fresh paper copy from St. Mark's Comics, where you and I go sometimes to get comic books here in Brooklyn's Industry City. Thanks, St. Mark's, for being awesome. And while I was reading it at a restaurant nearby, I legit teared up while reading this book no fewer than three times. Three different times in yeah. 22 pages, which what made me so choked up, you might ask. Well, it's all stuff related to learning more about how Alana and Hazel have dealt with the loss of Marco. The first time came when Alana says to the dog person man she's delivering fade away to, and she says, quote, was going to say, I'm sorry for your loss or some bullshit, but I hate it when people say that to me. That just like brutal honesty about the like platitudes that you get when somebody close to you has passed away and how it like ultimately ends up making you really angry if, because it's not even the fault yeah. of the person saying it, right? Like they don't know how you feel and they don't know what else to say. And that's just sort of a thing. But right. in that moment, like just thinking about the prospect of like my kid having to go through whole, her whole life if I were to pass away and then like that having to be a part of, I don't know, her whole identity or, or things like that. Yeah. And just like dealing with that. The second time was also about Marco, but this time it was some Hazel narration that really like did me in. It's one of those Hazel narration transitions from one scene to the next. And this one starts with Hazel saying, quote, a lot of creators hope their work outlives them, but that's not something any of us can control, which was again, just like one of those like, ah. Oh, man, now you got me in the feels thinking about like, how long am I going to live? And what will my daughter have to remember me by? And, oh, like, man. and then the very last one, the last round of like misty eyes came from something Hazel says about Marco, which she says to Bombazine, quote, dad used to tell me you have to be brave before you can be good. So I'm afraid of nothing. And one, just like seeing like how just badass and strong Hazel has like grown up to be in her early adolescence amazing, always going to break my heart. But we just talked about this, right? We just talked about this in our deep dive episode, the last one that we released, that Marco learned this phrase from his dad. We originally saw it was in the original blue. And like then, you know, him it being a part of Marco's life. And now that it's a part of Hazel's life, like consciously, it just, I like literally had to like wipe tears away and then resume eating my ribs. Yeah. I was eating ribs and eating a comic book, which in hindsight, <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible decision. I Wait. have a rib hand and a, and a book reading hand. And then I'm just like eating ribs with one hand. It was a whole thing. You are you are painting a mosaic for it here, my <laughs> friends. So the other part of this chapter that absolutely just had my jaw on the floor was the last page. Because we go through all of this emotional shit. We go through this whole reveal that Bombazine does in fact have this dark past and like something awful. We even even talked about the fact that we get to see just like fully nude strapped up on some sort of like S&M table <laughs> agent Gale. We just kind of glossed over yeah. that part of the story, but I'll assume our readers enjoyed that just as much as us, but it's the last page in that scene where we find out that this like commander from the security forces not only now wants Agent Gale to go back and like finish the job with Alana and Hazel and like take care of all the loose ends. He also wants him to go kill basically three of the maybe most beloved secondary characters in this entire series, Petrichor, Upshur, and 
Gus. I'm going to say Gus, even though I feel like we <laughs> referenced that it's there's a panel where Gus's name is like somebody says it and then somebody says, wait, like rhymes with like moose, which I think was meant to like settle that debate of whether it's Gus or Goose. I think it's supposed to be like yeah. Goose, like it's got a, the umlaut U like German or something. But I, I just don't think I can say it. I think I've said Gus for like 10 years and I'm going to keep calling him Gus. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that if you're fine with that as well. Absolutely. Okay. So pff, buried the lead. The last page shows that Agent Gale is going to have to like take all three of these beloved characters out as part of him cleaning up all the messes, no loose ends. And it's just like the last picture is little Gus with like a little picnic basket. Like the other two photos of Petrichor and Upshur are both like spy surveillance photos. And then the third one of Gus yeah, is literally right. just like a postcard photo of him being like, oh, hey, everybody. Wish you were here. Jaw on the oh floor. Just jaw on the floor. I don't know that I'm ready to talk about that final page yet. <laughs> See, seeing Gus in like a in like a military file. Oh, my guy can't be put in danger. I don't know that my heart's ready for it, but Brian and Fiona are about to do it. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get like a full on like uh, Yoda lightsaber battle scene where we just finally get to see like how much Gus can just like go off with his like chopper and just like <laughs> obliterate a whole room full of soldiers or mercenaries or whatever. Yeah. Well, as much as I don't want Gus in danger, I do kind of want that. Scene, so <laughs> clearly I'm split on that decision. Fair. All right, Alan, let's uh, let's wrap up today's conversation with our usual favorite panels and favorite quotes from today's chapter. What were yours? So for me, for this chapter, there was so much kind of amazing and emotionally intense writing that honestly, on first read, I didn't really notice a lot of the art when I was going through it. But there's one panel that maybe just like, holy shit, full stop, just like stop reading words and just take the entire image in. And that's what we see when the Skipper character throws in Bombazine's face his apparently evil former identity of La Puchisto. And you get this extreme close-up just on Bombazine's face, like basically between his forehead yeah. and just below his mouth. And there's so much detail in this rage. And like you can feel it of like not fear or not like, you know, oh my God, I'm going to get caught. Like, oh, I'm so angry and I'm going to absolutely destroy this other creature in front of me and it's even cooler that you know you talk a lot we both talk a lot about the cinematic techniques that fiona uses when she's creating these panels and this is an extreme close-up right classic like extreme close-up right when you break the head and you break the chin it makes it that much more dramatic and the whole thing is just pulling straight towards the center of the frame and i don't know i there are a couple panels from this entire book that i would consider getting like made larger and like printed or something like that it's just there's so much expression yeah i almost picked that one for mine too and then for my favorite quote, I already mentioned three bits of writing that made me cry. But my favorite bit of writing in the entire episode was the thing that guitar, which I don't remember that all the characters in the band were just the instrument they play, but I guess that's what they are, which is kind of fun. Anyway, guitar says to Bombazine, as they're discussing how Bombazine doesn't want guitar to make Hazel practice so much. And so she says to Bombazine, do you even know what the definition of insanity is? And Bombazine replies, sure, the old cliche, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And then her line back to him completely blew my mind. When she says, mm -hmm. quote, which has nothing to do with mental illness. That is the definition of practice. And it just like totally yeah. exploded my brain as a person who spent an inordinate amount of time practicing various like 
musical instruments or languages or whatever. That's what practice is. You do the same thing, the same piece of music, or if you're memorizing lines for a play, or even if like you're playing chess or like sports out on the field, you just practice and run the same thing over and over again with the idea that somehow by doing something in exactly the same way, hundreds if not thousands of times, you'll get way, 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 way better at it, which framed in that way kind of exploded in my brain. So that for me was my favorite quote. Um, what about you, Abu? What was your favorite quote? So for me, this was easy. I didn't even have to think twice about this. Alana saying early in the chapter, quote, Woo! the one sentence that instantly dries up my vagina, end quote. <laughs> and this is in response to the buyer telling her that he's not much of a reader. This struck a chord with me because I could not agree with Alana more here. Nothing, nothing is more attractive in a person than a love of books. Reading, as far as I'm concerned, is objectively hot. And also, of course, there's a second layer to her response here, where we as the reader know that a love of D. Oswald Heist's writing was so central to Alana and Marco's relationship, almost the foundation to their relationship. And this quote to me tells me that it's obvious, even years after Marco's death, that Alana can't help but compare every man that she meets to Marco. Mm, mm -hmm. Oh, you, you don't read as much as my husband used to? You're off the list. Right. As a potential partner. And she's still out here probably doing this calculus in her head, comparing everyone to Marco. And it's clear that she hasn't moved on yet. Like this entire joke with the buyer back and forth about, oh, maybe we'll sleep together. I didn't believe for a second that she was actually serious, right? No. Like it was just like weird, playful banter. And it's so obvious that Alana is still hanging on to the trauma of losing Marco. Totally. Well, and also the surest way to guarantee that he absolutely knew that that wasn't on the table was to basically make fun of the idea. So like as soon as she like makes fun right. of the idea that like they might sleep together, he's like, oh, got it. Yep. Nope. That's yeah. uh, great. Yeah, exactly. So I loved that quote so much because I agree with it. Reading is hot, folks. Put it on your Tinder profile. And also because of what it reveals about Alana's headspace, even years after losing Marco. Oh, no, absolutely. I also love that it makes you think again about the fact that two people who would have fallen in love because they both were so into the same book would be a little nutso about books in general. They wouldn't just have like, oh, I'm a casual reader. Like if you're literally falling in love with someone who's in a prisoner of war camp because you both love the same romance novel, you might have a slightly overweighted relationship and opinion of how much literature and writing can like transport people. So I'm not surprised that then when she hears that somebody doesn't read at all, she's like, mm, yeah, I don't really want to speak with you anymore, but I have right, to sell you right. these chocolate bars. Also, what's, what is up with the fadeaway just looking like bars of chocolate? I just, I, I want there to be some, <laughs> like, the final conclusion at the end of Saga is that fadeaway has just been chocolate all along and it's the only candy they have. Right. And, like, somehow sugar is the true, like, evil yeah. villain of Saga or something. Everyone is so sugar deprived in this galaxy. Yeah, something along those lines. It's, like, all a huge allegory for, like, diabetes or something. <laughs> Remember when I said I didn't want to do any theories and then I just started spouting theories? <laughs> okay, bring this home. What what about your favorite panel from, from chapter 58, Abu? So my favorite panel also comes very early in today's chapter in that very first scene when you flip to page two and you get this full page spread of a giant underwater bunny leviathan sea monster thing <laughs> chasing after Alana. And I couldn't help but fall in love with this cute kind of creepy little creature. Fiona Staples continues to draw these amazing and fantastical creatures that 
honestly defy description. I do not know how to explain what this thing is that Fiona drew. And I love it for that. This comic is just brimming with the weird people and monsters that Fiona's wild imagination has cooked up. And it's part of what I think makes Saga so instantly iconic and recognizable. If you see just a single panel of Fiona's work somewhere out in the wild and you are vaguely familiar with Saga, you'll probably connect the two just because of the way she draws this universe and the characters in it. The scene also raises so many questions for me about the planet that Alana's on right now <laughs> because it's it's seemingly underwater, but she's not wearing like a breather mask and neither is the buyer. Uh, nobody's like acting like they're underwater and have to like swim. They're just like walking around in normal gravity. It's all very weird. Wait, 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 I'm probably wait, wait. asking. You think that this planet is underwater? Isn't it? There's like no, seaweed and stuff. No, that's not seaweed. That's that's like scrub cactus. Are you from Ohio? Oh, I am from Ohio. It looks like an underwater. I mean, the bunny thing is like a. Okay, maybe I, I got to revisit these panels then. This all felt <laughs> underwater to me. No, I actually love that though because it does look kind of like ethereal and like even like no, you're right. Actually, now looking in the in the sky, the two moons that are in the sky, one of them is kind of like flowy. So I'm like, well, shit. Did I just interpret this as being like? in a desert because that's what I'm more used to because I grew up in Colorado and like being around like desert and scrub cactus is, uh, is a normal thing. Truly the power of the art. Oh, like nighttime right, in the exactly. desert. But I think it's just like the power of, of Fiona's art too is that it's not so over photorealistic that it stops being art, right? Like there's some illustrators right. who become so good at actually just drawing to a point of photorealism that you're like, well, I guess. I feel like this happens with CGI too where I'm like, no, part of what I loved about this is that somebody had imbued it with something of themselves. They made artistic choices about what it would look like. And I yeah. just love the way that Fiona does that. I, yesterday, was actually trying to find, and if somebody can help me find this, I would absolutely love it, a full, like, art-sized print of the cover of, I think it's Saga Chapter 8, uh, where Alana is sitting on the jet engine holding the book and blowing a bubble while she's wearing yeah. earpods. Yeah. Like, I 100% want to hang it on my wall, but I can't find it big enough. So if somebody can find it, but I'm, I'm getting that on my wall at some point. And just that's the for power sure. of, of, of Fiona's art, for sure. It's art. Yeah, totally. It's incredible. And you know what? I think our listeners should reach out to us at hazelstory at lordparty.com, help you find that poster, and uh, help me figure out whether this is a desert or an underwater planet. <laughs> I kind of love that it's both now. Like, it's like one of those optical <laughs> illusions where if I look at it in slightly different reframed ways, because they could also, yeah, be somehow right? like, that's the weird thing about this universe is that like, you're like, I guess there's some way they could be breathing. Sure. Yeah. Everything is just whatever it wants to be because technology is limitless and magic is limitless. And yeah, can't wait yeah. to hear what other folks thought. Write in and let us know. Desert or did you see an underwater landscape? We can't wait to see what you guys thought. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? That right there wraps up our instant reaction on chapter 58. I think we're both huge fans of this chapter and we can't wait to see where the story goes next. And of course, we'll be talking all about future chapters on this very podcast. But before we let you all go, a quick reminder that next up, we're going to have our regular deep dive episode to complete volume four. We're going to finish off that volume with those last three chapters. And then after that, we'll be back with another geeky, hyped reaction about Chapter 59 next month. Well, friends, 
two minds can sometimes improve the odds of a podcast survival, but there are no guarantees. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network at loreparty.com. You can also follow our network on Twitter and Instagram at Lore Party. Music on the show is composed by Lawrence Kelly, who makes all kinds of amazing music, and an awesome Moon Knight podcast called Night Night Spectre. Absolutely check that out. Thank you all for listening, and remember... Podcasts are fragile things, but just like Alana, Marco, and Hazel, we'll all just keep on exploring and learning together.